Intercepted by the Bombers. How many times has happened? Thompson laterals it, and they're on the run. Four receivers to his right. That's where he'll look. Pressure on him. to scramble and he's going to gun it for an open show at the 40 35 30 25 can he get around corner 20 Dalton shown is gonna score oh my goodness it is the breakdown everyone welcome to the program as always brought to you by our good friends over at fox 40 check out fox 40 gear products to make your combine run smoothly shop whistles i always i always want to say stop whistles there as in like stop watches shop whistles mm. stop watches ball pumps and more dt's favorite the ball pumps uh you can ah. go to fox40shop.com use the code cfp15 at checkout for 15 percent off of your order in all seriousness on this uh, I just read the story today about the Vancouver Island Raiders uh, having $50,000 worth of their equipment stolen out of a trailer. It was helmets, shoulder pads, practice jerseys, balls, equipment, uh, just all sorts of stuff. Just stupidity of people who are obviously very, very desperate that were trying to uh, find some sort of... I, somebody who is around the Vancouver Island Raiders, please uh, either get in contact with Fox 40 or just use that promo code. If you are purchasing your new gear or trying to replace, or if there's a fundraiser that is going out there to try and restore some order uh, for that junior football program, use that promo code because I'm sure that Fox 40 will be more than happy uh, to support you in your endeavors to get things up and running at the start of the season. I actually didn't plan on doing that off the top of this podcast, but it just, it jogged my memory when I'm talking about getting your season kicked off the right way that here we are in the fall with so many high school programs, Westdale high, around the corner for me in Hamilton. I watched them out on their new turf, free, uh, turf field that's been being built for the last year and a half. It's finally done. They're finally out there. They're starting to practice. And the idea of them showing up to practice and not having equipment like breaks my heart. Cause like, th- yeah. that's just, that's a, that's it's like a community organization. You're just trying to give kids a good experience, you know? 12 helmets, 15 sets of shoulder pads, 35 group. Uh, what's, what's someone going to do with that? Like, I saw they stole the bags that have the, the Raiders logos on both sides. I'm like, yeah. you're, you're going to like, they probably just use them to transport stuff. But you, anyways, I don't want to, yeah. I have a Awful. saying uh, that I try to use in my day-to-day life right now, which is don't try to crawl inside the head of a crazy person. It'll make you feel crazy. I'm not going <laughs> to try to figure out why this happened. I just know that yeah. that, pro- that program needs some support. So um, if there is a GoFundMe, CFP will be happy to contribute to that in whatever way that we can. And hopefully Fox 40 will be able to give uh, give our discount. Again, CFP 15 is where you can go uh, to get all of that. We are recording this on uh, a day in which I have some like really cool stats about the CFL that I want to tweet out. But I feel like they're just going to get buried in queen jokes uh, right now because the way that social media is, is behaving is uh, we're yeah. in the middle of the afternoon. It's, I like opened Twitter, saw what happened. I was like. Yeah, there's no point in trying to do anything today on social media around the Canadian. I'm like, I'm glad we don't have Thursday night football right now because that game would just get overwhelmed and buried by so many other things because it's a big deal. 70 years in office, 96 years old, uh, she passes away. And uh, it's, it's a funny one because it feels like right now on social media, it's one of those moments in history that transcends beyond just sport or the average person or the casual or whatever. You mentioned that your wife is like deeply interested in royal stuff. Just be, and my mom is the same. She's interested. I remember when we watched the the royal wedding. We like were on a family trip to Myrtle Beach, and we all woke up at stupid o'clock because my mom wanted to watch these people get married with Kate. I was like, 
I don't care. I don't know about this stuff. Like I'm not educated enough to have an opinion, but this is kind of the way par for the course of how social media works these days, right? DT is everybody has an opinion. And <laughs> it's like the Bo Burnham uh, documentary comedy special that he did during COVID in the middle of it on Netflix, where he has a scene where it's just him talking into a microphone and he says, can we just for one moment, just all of us just shut up just <laughs> just on anything on anything yeah. on any at, at any one time can all of us just stop <laughs> just shut up just stop like just stand still for a second it's like today's a great example of where like nope <laughs> that's not yeah. a thing <laughs> yeah i i kind of model myself after tony gwynn the, the san diego padres icon uh, who he let a lot of pitches go by in his career because he had a great <laughs> eye. I just know that uh, there's nothing I'm going to say about Queen Elizabeth that that will mean anything. I uh, just say if you if you haven't watched the series The Queen on Netflix, but it's good. It is some of the best stuff they have ever done. It is really? incredible, mm. incredible viewing the way and, and the way the what now five seasons unfold with it becomes different actors and you go from. Uh, Claire Foy to Olivia Coleman. This is this is top level television. So that's yeah. I I don't think that opinion needs to be out on at DT on OB today. So <laughs> I just I just let that pitch go by and I start tomorrow at, at two and zero on the count. Yeah, yeah. I uh, that's totally fair. But you and I were talking. I just want to mention this off the top because I I like having this platform to give our honest thoughts. And sometimes we go kind of inside broadcasting. We are inevitably, as a national television broadcast on Saturday, while I'm doing Argos at Red Blacks, going to have a moment because there's going to be a ceremony, I would think, inside the stadium to recognize this or a moment of silence before kickoff at all four of the games this weekend or whatever it might be. We have a tie. We have a connection to the monarchy. Very obviously, they're on our damn money. Mm. So, like, the idea of me as a play-by-play guy, I applied my own sensibilities to this. It was like, okay, we're going to have something. And I'm going to have to segue out of that into an East Division football game in week 14 of the Canadian Football League season. And I was, as soon as yeah. I realized that I was going to have to do that, my mind just starts going, the hell am I supposed to do with that? Like, it's such a weird situation to get put in where it's like, I don't know anything. I don't have a lot of interest. I don't understand it. I'm just a football play-by-play guy. But the construct of television is you will do this thing that you are uncomfortable or that you just don't understand well enough to have an opinion on. And then we need you to get us back into the football. And it's such a funny thing that television just forces you to do that thing when you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's entirely true. And yes, you got a couple of days to kind of bone up and pull up. When's the last time she was in Canada? When's yeah. the last time she was in Ottawa or Toronto? Who in and around the league was even born when she took over? When she yeah. took over the reins 70 years ago. Like, so stay tuned yeah. on Saturday afternoon Can't to, wait. To, to find out how I try to segue out of that. <laughs> That's why everybody will be tuning in to TSM this weekend. So Exactly. Uh, there, there's obviously a lot of news around the Canadian Football League that we will get to. But uh, the one that I think is most interesting this week is, is just as we're kind of looking around, uh, is Garrett Marino getting released. Uh, and this has been topic of discussion throughout the league. I said when I was on Edmonton Radio the other day, my opinion is probably that the league reached out to the riders and said, listen, you either do it or we do it. Uh, because I think the league had probably had enough at this point of player safety being validated. And then that 
opinion that I had, which was based on nothing and no, no discussions with anybody in the league or insiders or any of that. I just feel like that's probably how it went down. Dave Naylor said that, yes, Randy Ambrosi had sent a memo out to teams reminding them that he is not uh, required to rubber stamp a contract for a player if he does not. I don't know what the verbiage is, but basically if it is not something that will uh, you know, do the league well is kind of the overarching concept. Uh, okay. or yeah. uh, be looked at favorably in Randy Ambrose, which is this overarching power that if you were giving that power to somebody like, say, Roger Goodell in the National Football League, whoa, boy, would that ever get discussed on first take a lot. Like, that would be an incredible topic. But here in Canada, we're kind of just like, you have to use it maybe once every couple of years in order to try and protect the game from whatever you deem to be the thing that is unfavorable. Um, my question, I guess, in this situation is outside of the people that are in the building who were willing to look at his quality of play over the shot on Kolaros at the end of the game this past week or over breaking Masoli's leg or over diving at Lucky Whitehead's head or whatever it might have been, the, the indiscretion that is in question. Is anybody upset about this? Like, Because that's the thing I keep coming back to is on social media... I see the odd Riders fan who's like pissed, but it's just because they feel like their team is being attacked. I don't yeah. even think I don't even think those Riders fans are actually upset about Marino himself being gone. I don't see anybody who's upset about this really. I don't really think so because he's not he hasn't been an impact player like some other guys. Like if this was AC Leonard, Anthony Lanier is having an incredible season for yep. the Riders this year. Something like that. But I have Garrett Marino tied for 15th among defensive tackles in quarterback pressures with eight, eight in eight games. And you go, okay, well, he's, he's drawn a lot of holding penalties, like offensive linemen holding him to keeping him off the line. So he has some effectiveness and he was pretty good in, in the game, but yeah, ultimately there's what, what, what do you put up with for the value a guy brings? Uh, I'll put up with a lot. If he brings a lot, um, I'm trying, I don't want to attach it with it, but an elite level quarterback, Nathan Rourke could have been doing a lot of awful stuff off the field and could have, could have got a walk on that with his play, right? Like it, Nathan seems like nothing but a good dude, but he could have been doing a lot of awful stuff. And so I, I don't, I feel like, yeah, whether, whether this was the CFL, whether it was the riders, just ultimately they'll move on. And now they go, well, okay, well, we still have, Demarcus Christmas and Miles Brown, and we we had defensive tackles, and maybe this means Lanier is coming back for Saturday. We'll see what that means. But yeah, that was that was the part of this I never got was why other than you want to show you're loyal to guys who have been with you for you know a season and a half. What was what was the value of holding on to Garrett Marino quite so tightly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's totally fair. What what was your approach as you were calling the game? Uh, when this went down, because you're on 680 CJOB, obviously, is the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and you're in hostile territory. I thought it was an interesting dynamic because the play happens. I didn't notice it at first because it's a fake inside and then a pitch. And so your eyes follow the play. And as a play-by-play -play guy, I would imagine that you're probably watching the play go away. You call the action, and then you realize, like, oh, behind the play, something happened. And you see the replay, and you go, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, like, was that kind of the chain of events for you in the booth? Well, this is because this is a safe space. Uh, I'll tell you that neither Doug Brown or nor, nor I noticed it at, right. at the time. As we were getting to the end of the game, people were texting in and going, what happened on the Marino play? Ask Coach what he thought about Marino on Kolaros. And I looked at Doug and Doug looked at me and we said, what are they talking about? Yeah. Because wow. it's, not a, it's not a play where 
the quarterback should be hit at all, right? You're, he, he turns and he pitches it out immediately to Oliveira. Let's, let's, I forget who the who exact yep. running back was. And we follow Oliveira around for a five yard carry. And we, you know, by the time we look back, Kolaris is back up. There wasn't a big woo from the crowd. Nobody tried to fight anybody that was noticeable. So we, we missed it entirely and we had to catch up uh, on it at the end of the broadcast. Mm. Like I learned of it as we were interviewing coach Mike O'Shea in the post game show. Uh-huh. I was like, uh, coach, we're getting some texts about this. The, does this, what, what was this? What happened here? Uh, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed about that because it was oh. a big deal. But for, for 150 plays, it was nothing because Marino just did his thing and the Bombers just did their thing. See, I find this dynamic really, really interesting, though, GT. Like, as a, a former radio play-by-play guy doing the exact same job that you've been doing with Winnipeg and Saskatchewan previously, you don't need to be embarrassed by this because I, I have found this to be intriguing making the switch from doing radio to TV is that there were so many times where I would leave the stadium and open Twitter and see something that we didn't discuss heavily enough. And I'd be like, did we completely miss the biggest moment of the game? And you feel like a total idiot, but then you realize I'm doing the best job I can in the booth with the things that I'm seeing with my eyes in real time. I don't have access to every replay i'm focused on calling the next play as they're running the replay on the television and you're kind of like oh that's weird i don't know what they're doing on tv but anyway and there's other times where it's not just it's not just a radio disadvantage there's been times where i've been noting something i remember there was an example in edmonton one time where i was noting something and like really focusing on it in the first half of a game hamilton at edmonton and at halftime i went up to chris cuthbert i was like man can you believe that and he's like what happened and like he was in the TV booth and they've got producers in their ears and directors. And there's people that message in and go, Hey guys, you need to take a look at this. Or we caught this on the replay. When you're in the radio booth, it's you and Doug. Yeah. Like it's you guys against the world trying to paint the action. You don't have all these people as extra set of eyes. So I've always been intrigued even before I started doing television stuff where I got all that extra help. I've always been intrigued by the idea of like leaving the stadium and feeling like an idiot. Cause it puts you in an awkward spot where you're interviewing O'Shea and on the TV copy, he's, pissed like right away he's angry and he's pointing and he's in the official's ear and he's doing Mike O'Shea head coach stuff and you you don't have the time to recognize that because there's another football play that's happening in front of you so it's just that's not my way of saying like hey man it's okay it's just I want I want people to understand that if that type of stuff happens on tv or on radio and broadcasting we're doing the best we can with the things we have in front of us and it's hard to catch absolutely everything in real time when you're trying to juggle the oh, ad, yeah. ad reads and getting in and out of break and like giving Doug the room that he needs, like I do with Dwayne or whatever it might be. Yeah. There was a week one last season where uh, Saskatchewan went at Hamilton and Rolando Steinhauer did the dead sprint to yes. try to get the timeout call. <laughs> no idea that happened at all. I thought that was one of those leaving the stadium. I, I found out uh, this happened. Um, it's. The whole the whole Marino thing, I don't know if it's if it's just the time we're in now, but the whataboutism has oh. just has just gone over the edge. With you can't, no one can talk about Garrett Marino in a calm, rational sense because you did this thing four years ago. Right. Um, I saw. Well, what about what Jack? It's just payback for Jackson Jeffcoat in 2018, and I went, okay. And then I saw. Um, O'Shea needs to be quiet because he was as dirty a player as it comes. I'm like, O'Shea played a long time ago. And he would say, he, I don't know if he would say he's dirty, but he said he played 
or at the edge. Like he's he's aware of what he was as a player. Um, none of that matters. None of that even remotely matters. Um, it's funny in situations where uh, I got a guy speaking off about LP Barassa testing positive for a banned substance and then being totally quiet when his teammate does. Okay, Corey, we can we can do that. But what about is just it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just let's just evaluate this action on its own. And the Masoli one, there was nothing that could justify that. There's nothing that made that less terrible in my mind. I don't care. Because oh well, Masoli had a thing with laptops when he was in college. What are we doing? <laughs> Stop taking the focus off of off so, of what this awful thing that happened. Peter Godler, I don't know. Once uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of something inna- innocuous that Peter Peter, Godler Peter Godbear left the combine in 2017. Uh, was sent home even though he flew in and told them that he would compete in all the drills. He showed up and he said he didn't want to anymore. So the the CFL sent him home. Does that make him a bad so, person? So, of course, he should get speared in the side of the head by Garrett Marino while he's not big. Obviously, that's 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 been the worst. And it's not it's not all the, it's not all fans, but there's enough that you know, I just I just watch that and go, just evaluate it on its own. Just look at that action on its own. And I've been I've been fortunate in in my career. It was like I was a writer at TSN in like 1999 and yep. I was writing a, a Philadelphia Philly script one day and I wrote something about Jimmy Rollins, who was a shortstop, second baseman, whatever. Oh, this up and coming star. And I wrote up and coming star because he was on my fantasy baseball team, which is super dumb, but I did it. And I, I went and went, actually, I've got nothing to back up that he's an up and coming star. He's just on my fantasy team. I need to start to detach myself from these teams that I cover. Right. Right. So I, I've kind of, I'm, I feel like I'm in a good place where I can look at nine CFL teams. And, of course, I'm biased toward the Bombers because I'm around them every day and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. But you just have to look at it fairly and go, okay, this is terrible. If this happened – and I've said, if if this if a Bomber was doing that Jeremiah Masoli thing, if he did the – if a Bomber did the the hit on Fajardo like Garrett Marino did on Kalaros and I saw it, I'd be like, that's that's too far, Player X. I, I don't know. that uh, That's not cool. Yeah, like you yeah. just have to me, you just have to be fair, and it's the what abouting as an excuse for horrible actions. It's just got to stop. Yeah, very well said. And I think the thing that jumps out to me is there are certain people, like I would hope you and I would be included in this conversation, who are willing to have a rational conversation because I've heard people say, "Well, what about like sometimes you do the what abouts? It's like what about Simone Lawrence and the hits that he had? I'm like, yeah, Sim plays on the edge." absolutely like Simone's and he's had some dirty ones he's He's been he's had some dirty ones yeah he plays on the edge and he's gone over the edge at a variety of different points has he done it this many times in this short of a span of period is the question I guess that I would throw it to people and I'm not trying to defend him as a direct example but I'm using him as a as one where if you are irrational and people come to you and say but what about Simone if you're irrational you'd be like he's fine he didn't do this he's not as bad as Marino if you're being rational and honest about it you're like he's had some moments Right. And he's he's done some of the same things that Marino has done. There's also the conversation I had with somebody this week where I said, I'm not worried about Garrett Marino and his personal well-being long term. I'm worried about the quality of quarterback play and the health of the quarterbacks, because if they're gone, the league drops down a lot more than Garrett Marino running around trying to get to the quarterback. And I had people say, well, why don't you then like single out when Cody Fajardo gets hit more? Like, do you just hate the riders? I'm like. No, that, that isn't what this is about. This is about the overall health of the league. And if Cody gets teed off on by somebody as consistently as Marino has teed off on people this year, I would absolutely single that out if it was always by the same person. 
it's less about the idea of the number of hits coming from different places and more about the fact that this is originating from one source. And so that one source was deemed to not be necessary for the Canadian Football League at this point. And I'll, I'll say this as well, like, you know, not to have this be this big extrapolation of human psychology, but I think people that listen to this podcast know I'm interested in some kind of like, you know, personal growth type stuff outside of football. And there's this concept that I learned about last year that I really think you can apply in this situation, which is called like the victim perpetrator rescuer triangle. If you were to draw it out, you know, you draw a triangle, V, P, R in these different spots. And the classic example of this is, uh, you know, there's a domestic abuse situation. The victim is the woman. The perpetrator is the man, the rescuer are the police. But then the police show up and they charge the man and the woman feels really bad. She says, no, 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 it actually wasn't that bad. And so now the victim is the man, the perpetrator is on the police and the rescuer becomes the woman who's saying, no, no, I need to come to his defense because even though he was the one that hit me or that we got into a, a verbal argument here, like in it. So the roles just kind of rotate around this triangle of who's the victim, who's the perpetrator, who's the rescuer. And I feel like the way that people have defended Garrett Marino at various points this year there has been this like victim uh assignment of riders fans of like how you're trying to take away something that is ours like how are you doing this to us when really the victim at multiple points has been the the players that Marino has been taking these shots on like so they're the victim the perpetrator is Marino and the rescuer is the Canadian Football League then it becomes well what are we going to do with the suspension on Masoli well, now the victim becomes Marino because the four-game suspension. The perpetrator becomes the Canadian Football League, the big bad league. And the rescuer becomes the CFLPA, who's like, we back our dude. It's going to be okay long-term. We're going to get him back on the field. So it just keeps rotating and rotating. And the way that you get out of that victim-perpetrator-rescuer is everybody just stops being bad to each other. That's what they tried to yeah. do. That's what they tried to do with Marino. was like, hey, if you stop this stuff, we won't have to turn you into a victim. We won't have to continue targeting you and saying, hey, cut that shit out or you're going to be gone. And he didn't change. So because he continued to push the envelope, the Canadian Football League or the Riders, whatever, they must have realized, like, we got we got to get this over with because we can't keep doing this. This is not tenable for us going forward. So that concept of that yep. triangle and the rotation of it, it required Marino to take a step back and be like, I can play hard, but I don't have to launch into the upper body of Zach when he's not looking at me, turning the corner after pitching the ball away. And he didn't, he didn't do that. His instincts kicked in because that's what he has been as a player throughout his career. And as a result, he's no longer wearing Saskatchewan colors. Yeah. And uh, when I think of, I think of four incidents with Marino, the one uh, this year against, um, uh, against Masoli was to me the worst. There was one last season against Masoli in week 16 that was bad. Uh, the one where he tackles Dino Boyd and got fined this year, that was bad. The one on Godber was bad. This one on Kolaris was was the lightest of, of those yep. five. I came up with five right there. This this wasn't the biggest thing in the world. It wasn't Masoli level, but it's it's rough and it's unnecessary. Yeah. It's unnecessary roughness, and I get that. This Here's something that, that we kind of came to. I, I just want to transition. If you yes. get more Marino, drop no, it in. No, so I, last, okay. thing, last thing I'll say on Marino was the one play that really jumped out to me last year was early in the year against Hamilton in that total mess that was the the spitting incident. Javon Santos-Knox gets kicked out and all that. It was just like the melee. There was a play in that game where there was an interception by Saskatchewan, and Marino turns from defensive line and runs back the opposite direction and is headhunting. Like, he mm. he whiffs on one guy, 
throws an elbow up to try and get a second and then finally connects with a third and just crushes a dude. And I remember watching back the film and being like, A, that's a penalty, which I, I don't remember if they flagged it or not on the field, very similar to the Cloros play. Uh, but it was supplemental discipline, I believe, afterwards because the league got it sent in from Hamilton, I believe, and just said, like, you can't have that shit. <laughs> like, you can't have a dude turning and running towards his own goal line and trying to to go high on people when they're not looking the opposite direction. Like, that's 90s football type stuff. So, yeah, there are more examples, would be my final point on this, that are not Simone Lawrence going low on Henry Burris in his knees where it's like this big marquee moment that you remember with these big star names. In football, quite often, the way that a player gets painted, the way that Marino has around the league, yeah, it involves a couple of big plays like the Masoli stuff and the Claros this past week, but it's really about the little plays where guys are in the film room and they're watching, and once every 5-10 plays, he does something that just makes everybody in the room go, man, what is he yeah. doing? What is he doing? Like, And that's where the narrative comes from. Repeatedly going low on quarterbacks who have gotten rid of the ball. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. This so this is a conversation we we kind of bounce to after Marino is, I, I think most of us can accept Marino's been a pretty dirty player, and we can go back through history and go well. This, I remember this guy was dirty. A man was this cat ever dirty? A man, but just right now, Marsh, who are dirty players in the Canadian Football League? <laughs> and I don't, Dangerous I don't honestly, game. <laughs> I honestly, I don't come up with too many. Yeah. And I think that's a real – I honestly, I can think of two off the top of my head and how much we want to discuss them. I think Simone Lawrence – I mean, he had one on Kolaros early this year that people said was fine. And I thought, that's a guy sitting on his butt, and he hits him in the back of the head. And I didn't right. care. I didn't like that one at all. Um, I, can, I only come up with a couple right off the top of my head as guys who are dirty players in the CFL right now. And honestly, to me, that's encouraging and, and maybe was more uh, – you know, provided some impetus to – we need to get this Marino guy out for a, out for a little bit. Yeah, it's an like, inter- it's interesting. I Sim- hadn't really thought it through. Like Simone, I think would be in the discussion there based on previous yep. history, recent history. Yeah, like Duke be- Williams comes into it because that guy yeah. has been accused of spitting on multiple people. He took a helmet, he threw it at Shaq Richardson. Like a lot of players have spitting stories about Duke Williams in the Canadian Football League. So I think Duke has to come in there as well these aren't crackback blocks or chopping dudes but right. duke would qualify as as dirty but i i struggle to, like i i can think of oh um nikola kalinich would have been one but yes. he's in the nfl now nikola kalinich was was well known as being like right on the edge and at times like the spear on ed gainey last year in that melee game that involved marino cracking back like that that whole game was just a push pull of this tension of like how much can we physically dominate you the one i would say not this year, but in recent years and past years that has always taken shots that have been like, ooh, I don't know about that, especially since he got to BC in free agency, Suk Chung. Like that okay. is, that's consi- when I think of offensive linemen who are playing with that nasty edge the same way that Marino did, Suk has gone very close and at times crossing the line, I think more than people realize throughout his career. If you look at the the list of times where he's been involved in supplementary discipline, and a lot of them have honestly been He's physically dominating someone. The ball is thrown. The ball is away from the play. He finishes his block, and he basically just <laughs> he's so powerful. Like he, he just <laughs> and it's a consistent theme amongst people that we deem to be dangerous or to be too physical, is that they're just really, really, really strong. And at times, that strength ends up taking hold in a way that looks violent and uncomfortable for people. As let's be real about this as well, 
anybody we're talking about as being like a different level of physicality, the game has dramatically changed. To your point about the idea of who is a dirty player, I think there's less of this in the game, both because of the way that they're attempting to officiate the Canadian Football League and also because this game is attracting people who have been trained. This is like the grandfathering in of things like targeting in the NCAA, Mm -hmm. where you say, we're going to put this rule in, and it's like, well, what is it actually good for? It's good for getting people punished in the moment when they have done something that's overtly violent and try like that LSU defensive lineman, the clip that went viral this past week, uh, where LSU was playing against Florida State, he comes off the edge and his hands are at his side. He's got a body like Willie Jefferson, and he just like knucks up into the quarterback's head without ever trying to tackle him. Oh, and immediately every single person that was watching that on social is like, that's a dirty, stupid, bad play. But in the past, if it was the 90s, you'd be like, oh, you got him good. And now you see a play like that, and the general reaction is, the hell are you doing? And that's, yeah. that's the difference. That's the evolution of football. And I do think that that has shifted the goalposts on the way we think about some of these players, where if you are someone who plays even remotely similar to what violence in football looked like 10, 15, 20 years ago, it doesn't seem like you are an 8 out of 10 physical dominant violent player anymore you're like a 12 because so much of the sport that used to be a six is now a four and it just it makes everything look differently and I'm, and I'm not making the argument that people are weak and they not interested in physicality you look in the trenches there's a lot of of fighting going on whether it be with hands bodies moving body part like it's I it's just it's a funny dynamic to think of how we view players because of the way that the game is evolving around really really physical dominant players well it's the best players have control mm-hmm. right they're they're violent dudes but they have control like uh people would tell stories of chris van zyle like chris van zyle has been an elite lineman for a long time uh luke mullender my old radio partner would tell a story like i hated playing that guy so much because he would have he would hit you on the field and then the second the play's over he'd be talking to you wanting to know how your family is and stuff like that and i'm like that's a guy who's in control right. and you, you have to be in control. It's a violent game. And you know, a 240 pound fullback and a 230 pound linebacker yeah. meeting in the hole is, is a violent thing. You know, get double teaming Micah Johnson on the line of scrimmage is a violent thing, but it doesn't have to be, these guys can do this and remain in control. They can be selectively aggressive and then go, Hey, it's the, now. Now is not the time to be aggressive because it does no benefit to me. I don't have to. I don't have to be one of the three fist fights that teams pick with the Riders in 2021 for some reason. I, I don't have to be the guy spitting on Jake Hardy to touch this whole thing off, right? Like that doesn't have to be me. I can wait till the play goes. And the best players, and maybe it's the best organizations, uh, have their players not do. If the Calgary. If the Calgary Stampeders had a guy who was a serial spitter or a dirty player, for anybody listening who can tell me if there's a dirty player in the Stamps, I can't think of one right. immediately. But the best organizations don't appear to have this problem. Well, and I think that it's such a great point by you about organizational control because I think that that goes far beyond dirty stuff on the field. Like certain organizations, and this is very much like inside the analysis of the work that we do, but it's like if teams have to post, uh, you know, like their participation file or, uh, you know, different things around the league that are required on the back end, certain teams post that stuff like right after the game. 
like it's done because this is the way that things are done and we are on time and it's like army time you know it's like if you're not Mm -hmm. five minutes early you're late type stuff and other teams you, you get certain things significantly later in the week or they're slower coming in or they're more difficult or they lie on their depth charts when we're trying to prepare for games or and you see that throughout an organization it's like that's what culture is when you are willing and and again i don't want to tie this to like big picture psychology stuff but listen to a great podcast this week about the idea of integrity it's like well what is integrity really integrity is when you are comfortable with yourself because you're not lying to yourself over and over and over and over and over again like sometimes when organizations are out of integrity with themselves it's because they're actively trying to lie or deceive or do things behind the back of the league. Like, I don't know, extra practice roster players that are buried away somewhere in a stash house or things of that nature. It's like when you're living this kind of like sketchy backroom dealing life, you don't have integrity. Mm-hmm. And the organizations that do have integrity and the first two that come to mind for me are Winnipeg and Calgary. Those are the ones that seem to be on the up and up with so much of this stuff. And they are in control of their team and of the big picture. And it doesn't always show in the totals at the end of the year with penalties, but often it does. Like often you, it shows on the field because of the way that you run your entire organization. So I think you're right to bring up the effect of, of organizational control in this. Well, the, to your point, the Bombers have been, have had the fewest penalties every season since 2017. Mm-hmm. That's, this is, and they're leading this year. So this would be five years in a row. Discipline. They've had the fewest penalties. Discipline. Well, discipline and the guys you choose, right? Yes. Like what's, what's Calgary get credit for more than anybody else? No, having these great players. Oh my God, this all of a sudden, this receiver comes out of nowhere and now he's Markeith Ambles or he's uh, Mark and Michelle came out of nowhere. Now he's in a, <laughs> well, because they went and picked those guys and they conditioned them over a couple of years on practice roster, leaking into games and stuff like that. And it really feels like they had it, they, they, they very much focused on the input and they're not going to bring in a, a dirty player who's going to embarrass them in the long term. Some guy might turn out to be a guy who embarrasses them. Who knows? But I feel like they're very conscious of the inputs and then they know there's going to be a good process along the way. And the output is Calgary is probably number two in penalties taken this like second fewest penalties taken this season because and I'm just I just pulled up roughness penalties. Montreal's had 14 this year and there have been, I think, 39 league wide uh, through the first uh, 11 weeks or so. So, yeah, I probably have some catching up to do, but. Uh, Winnipeg has, has uh, by my count, no roughness penalties this season. Just yeah. strange how it works out when you really focus on it and make it a priority. Uh, and, we, yeah. Yeah. We, and, we, um, for, go ahead, Marsh. No, I was just going to say, we've talked a lot of big picture stuff on this. I just want to squeeze in here a statistic on the way out uh, for people because we're up against it with the clock. But uh, I was looking around today for fun, and I saw that there are 25 passing attempts for Dalton Schoen of Winnipeg uh, Darvin Adams of Ottawa and Gino Lewis of Montreal. They lead the league in terms of deep targets, 20 yards or more. I just want to leave this little tidbit with you as, Ottawa, as uh, Montreal gets set to take on BC on Friday night football to kick off week 14. Completion percentage on passes of 20 yards or more for the three guys that lead the league in attempts. Uh, Darvin Adams is catching 31% of his deep attempts. Dalton Schoen, That's about right. Dalton Schoen, 50%. Okay, pretty good. That's really good. Gino Lewis, 62.5%. <laughs> Come on. Are you serious? 62.5%. 